You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Susan Schwartz. She equips subject experts with tools to hone communications, relationship building, and people management skills that would enable them to become world-class leaders. Her toolbox combines emotional intelligence, Lego serious play, which I'm really curious about, and knowledge sharing methods. Her passion is making complicating concepts simple and enjoys her work as an adjunct instructor at UC Berkeley and UC Santa Cruz. She is the author of Creating a Greater Whole, a project manager's guide to becoming a leader and co-author of Turning Ideas into Impact, Insights from Silicon Valley Consultants. Hi, Susan. Hello, how are, how are you? you? Good, good. good. <laughs> I look forward to meeting you in person yeah. one day. Ah, me too, me too. If you ever come to Romania, let me know. And if you are gracious enough, I will let you know when I'm coming to the States. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. We have a spare bedroom. You're very welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. And Susan, do you want to add anything else about yourself? I think you caught, we're very broad and we'll add things as we chat this morning. Exactly. I'm especially curious about Lego Series Play. What is it? What is Lego Series Play? Well, it is a means of getting people to realize what their stories are and to talk about them. So my husband is an engineer and every year they have a kickoff meeting and then they will all have to build a tower. They give them poster board and Lego bricks and some string and they say, go build a bridge, you know, or build the tallest tower. And that's building something. But with Lego series play, you're building a metaphor. So Uh I might ask you to describe how you communicate with your team and your team communicates with you. So you have to construct something kind of intangible. It's not like building a rocket ship. Although you might build a rocket ship and then you look at it and you'll say, maybe we're always moving really fast. When I talk to people, we're never quite sure where we're going to go. And, you know, we shoot for the moon or, you know, or whatever story they want to tell. And the key, and it's a little bit hard because I'm a project manager and project managers like to plan. But in Lego (laughs) series play, you don't plan. You have very short building times, like one to four minutes. One to four minutes, that's fast. You have a huge pile of Lego. And you just have to grab the pieces and you start putting them together. And it's interesting at the end, then you look at it and all of a sudden you didn't realize what you were thinking. And so your subconscious comes out. For example, when I was getting certified, I had just moved to San Francisco from the East Coast. And when I built a tower, uh, and we were supposed to put yourselves in it. So you could build anything you wanted. And I had like a two-tiered tower and sort of was my past life. I didn't realize this in my new life. And I had a little window. You know, I didn't plan it. It just happened. And I had a little Lego figure that represented me. But in that window, it didn't have one of those lovely little Lego pegs. So I Uh wasn't stable. 
every time I moved my construction, my little person fell off. And it wasn't done on purpose, but I'm looking at it going, holy cow, I keep falling over. (laughs) And I realized since I moved to San Francisco, I'd lived in Washington, D.C. for so many years. I, you know, I was very stable. I had a network. And I realized I just, that was the story I made up when I saw my little person jumping over. I said, well, that's me. I keep falling down and kind people help pick me up and find my way. And so that's, you know, that's the story that comes out. So it's very good. It's a great tool if you're working in um, a growing company and you need to create uh, a strategy. Yeah. And so you might have people from all different departments and they all see the future from a different viewpoint, a different perspective. And so you have a chance to all build how you see the current view. And then you have a chance to see where everybody wants to take the company. And in the traditional way where you get a flip chart up and people are you know, getting highlighters out and writing words and putting all the flow charts up on the wall, the flip charts, you all start, everybody's starting from a different position. Like if you're in finance, you have a different viewpoint than sales. Yeah. And you have different metrics and you have different priorities. And so what this lets you do is it lets you and it encourages you to listen, to actively listen to understand and you what's valuable is everybody gets to see how they combine for the mission of the company so when you leave everybody shares point a and point b you know where you start where you want to be the tough work is getting from point a to point b but at least you're all in the same you know direction you're all going parallel versus the old version where you would just crisscross. And then it's confusion and chaos and everybody gets angry and nothing positive comes out of it. You know, the same thing can go for team building where you have cross-functional teams and you need to learn how to communicate together and it forces you to stop blaming people, to start listening and to understand what you all have in common versus what you don't have in common. And I just think it's a great tool for broadening your perspective and really um, launching and encouraging collaboration. I'm, that's my leadership style. You know, you, you need multiple perspectives. And you yeah, that's only, for sure. And that's why I named my first book, Creating a Greater Whole, because the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Yes, uh, and, and it sounds like serious fun, and I, I like the fact that, as you said, like when you use words on a flip chart, a person that's in um, in finance and a person that's in let's, let's say like in the technical part of the company, they might use the same word, but it has a different meaning for them, a different connotation. But when you can see it. It's it you you surpass the words. It's you can see like exactly what's the vision of each individual, and uh, in a way it becomes like the the Lego composition is worth more than a thousand words. 
Oh my gosh, I, you know, that's a really interesting interpretation. I hadn't thought that the same word can mean such different things. And so everybody's agreeing to everything on the flip chart, yeah. but they all in their brain have a different visual. You're exactly. right, and that's what the visual, that's the visual aspect of Lego serious play. That is oh, yeah. fabulous. Thank you for sharing. And the other part is when you have flip charts, the very often a few people will dominate the conversation. That also, yes. And so you only get to hear two or three viewpoints. And then you have the people in the back of the room that don't want to be there and they're rolling their eyes. Yes. And they don't they don't participate at all. And with and Lego Serious Play, you are forced to participate because you're um, all building together. So it's a safe space. You know, there are um, agreements that everybody agrees to creating it a safe space, not to have judgment. Everybody tells their story. Nobody, you know, you're not allowed to make comments until everybody's told their story. And I've done run a couple of sessions since we've gone virtual with the coronavirus that have put us virtually, all shelter in place. Nice. And what we've done is we've done it with found objects because not everybody has Lego. If yeah. you have Lego, that's very You fun. probably have kids. Uh, well, they're all grown up, but my son was a Lego guy and yes. my husband was a Lego we guy. We had kids. That was yeah. more at some point. But, uh, but other times, you know, you can get yes. paper cups and toothpaste tubes and um, canned tuna fish or, you know, canned fruit. And you can build using those. So it's very sounds, flexible. Sounds really fun. And since we're talking about stories, I'm really curious about your stories. So let's get into them. Um, what is the biggest leadership success story that you've witnessed personally? You know... I, um, my, the person that I really hold up as the leader I try to aspire to is a gentleman who was, uh, he's recently retired, but at this point where he really um, gave me a lot of inspiration, his day job, he was the chief information officer at the local electric company. You know, at, at the oh, utility. interesting. He had started his career as a mainframe programmer and had gone through the ranks and was becoming a chief information officer. Now, I knew him personally, and at that point, he was also the president of my synagogue. And, you know, when nice. you're working with volunteers, it's very different than when you're working with people who yes. get paid to be there. It's a little harder. And a little harder. And in the middle of his term as president, I always admired him. Oh, our rabbi was a very beloved man, and he passed away very unexpectedly from a heart attack. And as many or volunteer or, you know, many congregations, there are different factions. And this rabbi united the factions and as we were trying to decide, you know, what were the uh, traits that we wanted in our new congregational leader, spiritual leader, 
um, there are many factions. All of a sudden, there were all these factions of people, and they were clashing. And yeah. Ken was so calm. Up until this moment, I always thought leaders had to be the loudest voice in the room. Yeah. And what I was really impressed is Ken never got ruffled. He remained very calm. He let every side tell their story, give their concerns, give their reasons. And after everybody had spoken, he reflected on it. And he came back and he asked them more questions. And we, he wasn't able to uh, bring everybody into agreement. But I would say he brought many, many people together. And we were able to move forward as a unified congregation. Oh, so and nice. So to see that balance where he was this very technical manager and he, you know, working for a utility with unions and, and that probably gave him the skill set. Probably, yes. But he was able to translate, you know, working with unions and a very different sort of negotiation to negotiating with volunteers and people who chose to be there. And um, I just, I found that lesson of listening and reflecting to be just a really good foundation. It, it shifted my perspective and uh, really laid out the leader that I was hoping to emulate and the leader I hoped I would become. That's, that's such a great story, Susan, because uh, the more I speak with people and the more I, I reflect on it, I come, I'm coming to the conclusion that actually in leadership, the person that loses its calm first or raises its voice loses as a leader. So it's, mm. that person can never be the leader because the leader is always calm and in check of his, his emotions or her emotions and knows exactly what are the steps and listens to people. He's not the, the, the talker of the group, because if you're talking, 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 you're, you're not listening <laughs> to what is going on. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I don't know why we have like in our society this skewed view that like leaders, they're, they're talking and they're, they have no, and there's like, sometimes you see it like, especially in, because the leaders we mostly see are political leaders, you see it in them, they don't, and even we make like fun of some of them, like they only talk, they, they don't know this, they do not know reality, they don't understand our world where we're living and they come up with solutions that are just like, I don't understand why, what sane person well, thinks like that. They create their own reality because that's yes. what they want it to be and then they think they can just bully everybody else into doing because what they want. Because they're not listening. To. And not listening is really, really tough as a leader. And it will not make you a success. And Susan, since you had such a lovely, lovely story about success, I'm really curious about the story on leadership failure and what lessons can we draw from, from it? Ooh, I do have, I, as I have seen the best in leadership, I have also seen the worst. Uh, and I refer to my experience as minute leadership. Minute leadership. Minute because he micromanaged 
all of us to the extreme. Oh my God. It was a company, a software company that prided themselves on being one of the first virtual companies. This was back around, oh goodness, maybe 2006, 2007. Oh, early adopter. Yeah, early adopter. Oh, wait, it was 2005. I just got my <laughs> my years earlier. right, 2005. <laughs> and, and the company really prided itself on having remote people. And the founders of the company uh, had a great deal of respect. And they were the ones that hired me. And then the structure changed, and I ended up reporting to this gentleman who wanted everybody to perform exactly like he did. Oh, my God. We had to do it exactly his way, or else it was the wrong way. He wanted all these little clones. Exactly. And he was remote, far away, and my guess is, is he spent a lot of time goofing off. Because he thought we were goofing off if we oh weren't God. at our desks. They, I am was the technology back then. And if he IM'd us, instant messaged us, yes. if we didn't immediately respond, he would get on the phone and say, where in the heck are you? Why aren't you replying to me? Oh my God. And, well, it gets worse. Even worse the than immediate, this, okay. The immediate fact is I was responsible for writing courseware. I had to learn the software, which was difficult, very complex, and then I had to write the training program. So that's, you know, you need to focus exactly, and you can't get distracted or else you can't be productive. So I always thought that an IM meant, well, if you respond in 20 minutes, 15, 20, that would be okay so you can finish what you're doing. Just, he didn't believe that. And it got to the point where he got really angry and he called me and I said, I'm really sorry, I was in the bathroom. And so (laughs) I had to come up with a signal to put on IM to let him know that I was taking a bathroom break. Oh my God. I told you it got worse. And needless to say, I lasted at that company a total of four months. A long time, a long, long time. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the level of. So it was just that micromanagement. You know, he couldn't delegate, and managers have to trust their people. Um, Yes. You know, and that's why I called him a minute manager versus a micromanager. Oh my God! Yeah, I worked remote a big chunk of my career, and I know that the from my personal experience, the biggest challenge we have as a manager of a remote team is to make sure they do not burn out faster than they would burn out at, the, at an office because you're always close to the desk. It's in your house. Your work is just there. You get ideas even after the work hours. And I'm um, not going to say. And you work longer. You know, yes. So, you know, if you take a half hour in the middle of the day to take a walk around the block and get some air, chances are you're going to be working an hour before everybody woke up and an <laughs> hour after. Yeah. And I've worked, um, 
I've worked officially, I've had my own company for 20 years. Even before that, I worked for a global software company. Yes. And my job as I was a project manager, a product manager, and I was uniting people from 20 different organizations. There were 10 Ooh. countries, five software products, and five functional areas. And I worked in an office, though I didn't have anything to do with the people that sat around me. My yes. job was on the telephone oh. because it was really before we had Zoom and WebEx <laughs> and all of that. And we got so much done. And then after I started my own company, I worked with um, two large global companies. And they asked me to come on board because they had people in three or four different countries and three or four different departments who wouldn't talk to each other. Yeah. And the real reason they hired me, not that they couldn't have done the work, but they wouldn't have spoken to each other. So I was like Switzerland. Everybody would talk to me. (laughs) And we did. We did an amazing amount of work on these two projects. And we never met each other. And at one point, we were finally going to get to meet. And we had always, I didn't know what color their eyes were. So we were trying to describe ourselves so we would know each (laughs) other at the airport. And you can see me. I'm five foot two. I have dark hair, dark curly hair. And this woman who we worked so closely, we really had done stellar work together. The company loved it. Every, it was great. And she thought I was five foot seven with blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> I have no idea what she was thinking. I take it as a compliment. Yeah. Um, but that's just what she thought I looked like. And Amazing. And I, I'm really curious because you seem to be able to bridge like cultural differences and make team work, especially like remote teams, divisions spread across the world. And I found out like even subtle cultural shifts create like big problems in teams working together. So how do you make it work? What's your secret sauce? My secret sauce are two, I guess two, maybe three. Let me. Okay. I really believe in respect. Everybody deserves respect, whether you are the person who sweeps the office and empties the waste paper baskets. They are working just as hard and they are providing us services so we can do our job. Exactly. What would happen if we had to stop and vacuum the floor at four in the afternoon? You know, now I have a home office. I do have to vacuum my own floor. Yeah. Downside of working from home. So, you know, though the people, everybody in an office is all contributing in some way. And so I approached, you know, I approach everybody with respect, but I'm also curious. I'm really curious about them, you know, find out if they have children, Uh, finding out about different people's culture, I just think is wonderful. And one of the areas I wish, I just wish I did better, one of my greatest weaknesses is I don't speak, um, I, I have difficulty learning foreign languages. We all do. And, well, so your English me, is fabulous. And well, it took I, me a I, long time to get to this point. 
I, I would try hard. Years ago, my husband and I took a trip to Europe and we were fortunate in most of the tourist areas, people spoke English and we were able to translate menus. So people would come in a restaurant, other tourists, and they'd see what we were eating and they said, we'll have what they're having. <laughs> so I'm good at reading, but it's the listening. I don't, I'm toned down. So I'm thinking that might be why I have a problem with the intonation oh, and yes. accent. So what I did try to do is in each language of the people that I worked with, I would learn how to say hello, how are you, goodbye, thank you, and where's the restroom? And many of the people I worked with were Dutch, and they would say, Quetic um, weekend, which means have a good weekend. Here in the States, we say TGIF. Thank goodness it's Friday. <laughs> so, you know, I would try to learn just basic phrases. And, you know, I was working with five or six languages, but I could say those basic phrases and people appreciate it that I tried at least to say hello and goodbye and thank you. Their English was fabulous. I always admired everybody that I worked with because their English was so strong. And yeah. I just wish that I had a better ear for languages. <laughs> but I'm curious, um, I like learning about other people, other holidays. I really like the European six-week vacation in the summer. Uh, yes, we also like it a lot. Yeah. And a tidbit that um, I found out like from a friend from Canada, because he also went to Holland, and he was surprised like everybody spoke so such amazing English. And he found out that actually it's their second recognized language, English. And they all have to, it's uh, it's an... Then it's also the national language in English in, in their country. So everybody speaks it really well because they make a point of it. And they uh, learn it because because of the Canadians, apparently, because they saved them in, I don't know, the First or Second World War, one of those. And they were so gracious for their support. I said, everybody's going to learn English from now on. <laughs> wow, what a great story. Yeah, I, I also find it like... Surprising. I didn't know about that one. Well, you know, when you, I, one of the benefits of our pandemic right now is I find people being much kinder. Yes, that's true. And I, um, I really believe that people need to be direct and kind. You know, let people know what you expect and yes. what they could how they could improve or, you know, how they might try to do something differently, but do it with kindness. It goes back to not yelling at folks. You know, you don't want people scared and afraid of you. I, in fact, one of the things in today's world where technology is moving so, so fast, I've noticed yeah. that people are afraid that they're going to lose their job. So yes. instead of and nobody, very few people get second chances. You know, one of the big buzzwords in the computing, in our, you know, computing community is, you know, fail fast. I believe that's one of the agile principles. Yes. And it I is. can't believe that we have to have a very special discipline that says it is okay to fail. What does that say about the rest of our world? That's such a great point, and it's and like it flipped like a switch in my head because 
the businesses, they focus like, let's start project and fail fast at them to see what sticks, but they don't treat humans with the same empathy they have for the projects. Like, let the person fail, but let's see, does he improve, does he get better? It's not, no, he fails once, that's it. Patrick, <laughs> you've got a reputation. Now, if you're going to fail four or five times and you don't learn your lessons and move them forward, uh, that's something then else. that's something to consider. Um, but I, you know, and one, he's becoming one of my heroes, uh, General George Marshall after World War II. He helped to establish NATO, yes. the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which was all about peace and working together. And what I discovered, I was uh, reading a book about World War II. He believed in education. He said, oh, yes. how can I ask a soldier or anyone to do something that they've never done before and be successful? Exactly. And so he started an incredible training program with the U.S. troops and soldiers. And he he gave second chances. He really believed in second chances. He didn't often give third chances, but yeah, he was yeah. very, very generous with his second chances. And he also gave a second chance to Europe with the Marshall Plan and all the investment and rebuilding the whole of Europe. So for sure, he was okay with the second chances. Thank God we ne never had to get to the third chance. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I just think that people in our world today, you do need to be direct because if you don't know what's expected of you, that was one of my challenges with that horrible manager I had, is he expected us to be just like him. However, he never told us until after <laughs> we failed and then he'd belittle us because oh we weren't just like him. So, you know, it, it's the extremes uh, exactly. that, that makes that work. And, so it's, 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 we live in interesting times. I do think people are learning how to be kinder to each other. I'm not sure in Europe, Brene Brown, I don't know if she's a well-read writer in Europe. Um, what I take from her is her definition of functional teams and dysfunctional okay. teams is that bad things happen. They just do. It's nobody's fault. You know, they just happen. Yes. So something you know um but when these difficult times happen and the project gets off course or something dysfunctional teams will move away from each other and point fingers and lay blame yes. because they don't want it to be their fault because they don't want to get fired yeah. functional teams come together and figure out how to solve a problem together so they see it as a challenge to overcome as opposed to needing to blame somebody before they can think about a solution. And usually in those situations, if the leader is good, he's going to say the fault is all mine. So let's move forward and find solutions. Exactly. Exactly. So and, all, yeah. all fingers are pointing at him. So he's marching forward. And that's the whole idea. And with that, Susan, I'm really curious. What's your leadership philosophy? Well, I, it kind of, one moves into the other. I really believe that leadership is not a solo sport. You can't yes. lead a team of one. And that team of, you know, Ian, you can't, everybody can't be just like you. 
you know, that you have yeah. little clones that replicate you. So there are type A leaders that are very directive. And when we're in battle, I want the generals to have faith in, you know, they're, they're going to have to stand up and know the situation and they're going to have to make very quick decisions. That's just and being tough in decisions. Battle. Yes. On the other hand, there's type B leaders and that's a collaborative leader. And I like to be a collaborative leader where you really know yourself where you're very self-aware and you know what your weaknesses are. And because you know what your weaknesses are, you look for people on your team who can counterbalance them. Oh, yeah. So you're working together to be successful. And so you want a team of people that's very diverse. If they're all just like you, that means you all have the same weakness. And yes. how can you succeed? That's where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So I really believe if you can get a diverse team and through conversations and getting to know each other and asking a lot of questions, you'll learn what everybody's strengths are and then you can leverage their strengths because everybody can make an important impact. And you also get multiple perspectives. So if you're trying to solve a problem, everybody might have some little bit of knowledge that they learned in another job oh, that yes. they can bring. And so if you, you know, you might combine them. One person may not have the answer, but if you're brainstorming, somebody might be able to say, well, at my last company, we, we did this, we did X. And somebody else might say, well, our situation is different. So then the next question is, okay, that was successful. How could we adapt that to this situation? And yes. so when you can bring those, facilitate, that you can facilitate a brainstorming session that involves everybody and everybody's part of the solution, that means everybody owns it. And once you own that solution, you're going to do your best to make it happen, to make it work. And that's kind of where we come back to Lego Series Play. Because when people <laughs> leave, it's only a two to four hour session. But after that two to four hours, people leave and they all share the same goal. They've all bought into it. And they're nice. accountable for the outcome. So that comes back to not blaming, not worrying about firing. You can be accountable when things don't go quite right. Um, when a project, the technology didn't work like you were led to believe. So yes. what can you do to fix Happens it? Happens all the time. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't know <laughs> if that was in a nutshell, but, you know, that's my philosophy. It was like, deep. Yeah. And I, and I like, and it all turns back, like, to respect and being curious and uh, finding out stuff about the people you're working with. and that's really important because you're actually building a sort of um, a family outside your family uh, at the office so you need to know okay. a lot of stuff about them well we work we're with the people we work with often yes. more than we're with our people at home exactly. it is like a family yes, it, is, it is you know it's huh. it's amazing. I, I still keep in touch with people I worked with 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Oh, yeah. It means you, you had like a really awesome collaboration and you, strong bonds. You build strong bonds with them. 
and I have I don't have a career as long as yours yet, but I still have like colleagues from past company in all past companies I have a couple of colleagues that we stay in touch not as frequently as uh, as I would like towards my shame I should stay more in touch with them <laughs> but it's still it's still nice right and you know what even if you've been out of touch if you can connect with them 10 years later they're oh, going to yes. be glad they're going to say I've been meaning to call you so they will exactly. be glad if you take that action yeah, and I will I will after this call <laughs> And Susan, for aspiring leaders, what would be your top three leadership tips for them? My top three. Well, I um, one of the, especially because this is techie leadership. About, yes. I started my career out as a techie. I, I worked with AT&T and I designed and implemented integrated voice and data systems. Oh, serious stuff. I was a real techie and I really believed that technology would drive business forward. When I was working for that global software company and getting to know people from all over the world and I had to bring them all together, we were trying to get a single um, forward moving plan. And at that point, we had 20 different plans. And, wow. at, you know, in the middle of that project, I went, oh, it's the people, stupid, me being stupid. Um, and it's the people that are going to drive business forward. And today, technology is changing every six weeks, three months. You know, we can't keep up with it. And so technology is simply a tool. Yes. And it's the people that matter. And so as a leader, if you can show respect if you can listen really hard and share your resources, get them to understand that somebody else that balance their weak, their lever leverage their strengths so that yes. everybody recognizes, you know, there's Hans, he does X really well. And there's Gerta, and she does Y really well. So let's put Hans and Gerta together, and together they can be really successful. So if you can respect people, listen really hard, and recognize their strengths so you can leverage those strengths. You know, obviously you want to help them overcome their weaknesses. But sometimes Hans and Gerta working together, they might help each other you know, their strengths yes. balance out the, and you learn from each other. Exactly. And, and, and that's the other thing, leaders, my friend Ken, you know, I got yes. to interview him when I wrote my book, that was the best part. I got to interview people awesome. that I really respected as leaders. And what Ken told me is leaders never stop learning. And that goes that's back. That's so true to curiosity and listening and discovering people's strengths and that leaders just don't stop learning. That's the curiosity. And, and that's true. That's something that I'm finding out more and more. People that become leaders, they, they have a hunger for knowledge to get more and to improve on themselves and they reflect on their performances and driving it forward. And I, and I really like the idea about building your team in a way that 
you don't get the same person trying to find clones of, a, of one person to multiply it, but actually building a, in a way that they each support each other and the sum is, is greater than the individual parts. And, and I got like, because we're talking about Legos, it's like building, a, making a Lego constructions and the difference between having all kinds of different variations in the pieces you can use and having just the same piece, but in great quantities. You can build something with it, but it's not going to be something that it's impressive. It will be a little bland. <laughs> right. Or I, I'll brag on my son. He was trained as a chef and he's working ah. now for a culinary management consulting company. So they work with restaurants and menus and yes. uh, in the food industry. And I asked him to build, because he was helping me practice. I asked him to build how he communicated with his colleagues and how his colleagues communicated with him. And yeah. he has all of his Legos in a big box that he's using as his coffee table in his apartment. And he pulled yes. out all of his Legos and he's grabbing pieces and he came up with a motorboat that he had from some Lego kit. <laughs> yes. And he had these little lasers on the front and he had a little radar thing on the back. Oh. And he had some little people in the boat, but he also had a really big polar bear. A <laughs> really big polar bear? What? A polar, polar bear, bear in the middle of a boat in the middle of the ocean, right? And so I asked him to tell me his story. And he said that in their business, they need to know the food trends before they happen. Yes, and so that's hard. what the little lasers, he said, we move really fast. We're communicating, we're collaborating, we're brainstorming. Everything happens quickly. It's hard to stop and reflect. They're moving fast for the motorboat. And they have to keep those lasers out in front of them. Yes. And then behind them, but they, their customers are having to do business now. Yes. They are not ready to move away out. For tomorrow, yes. So you have to keep an eye on where your customers are today and help get them ready for what's ahead. And, and the polar bear? Said, and the, I asked him the polar bear. And he looked, he, and he looked, I guess we were doing Zoom, he did look at me. <laughs> <laughs> and I look at your parents the same way. He was like, mom, <laughs> the polar bear is the challenge in the room that everybody's refusing to acknowledge. Oh. So in the in the United States, we'll say it's the elephant in elephant, the room. Yes. But he didn't have an elephant, so he used the polar bear. <laughs> but, and that's the whole point. But what he was, and I'm thinking if I asked him ten minutes before, I mean, he built it in four minutes. So really, if I'd asked him five or six minutes before, he couldn't have told me all of that information. Amazing. I'm going to use because, it with my daughter. <laughs> you know, because he built something and then he stepped back to look at what he built, all of a sudden he had the story. And so that's what I find, you know, powerful back to Lego, but also back to your team, to being able yes. to hear their stories and to ask lots of questions and to be curious. And, and I teach many, many classes and workshops. And I always learn something from each student. So I end the class yes. with a lot more knowledge than I began the class. 
because they each take a different perspective and they bring a different perspective into the classroom. You should be paying and the highest fee. <laughs> it should. <laughs> I like getting paid. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> and Susan, since so, we're talking about learning and leaders always learn, what is the book that had the most profound impact on you? You know, there was a, I read it many years ago and it is called um, Crucial, well, the first book was Crucial Conversations, and that was interesting. But the second book by the same authors were Crucial Collaboration. Mm -hmm. And then they just republished it, and they call it Crucial Accountability. Mm -hmm. And what the book teaches you is how to have those difficult conversations. So even in the office where somebody's going to bully you and they catch you in a moment like where you're in front of a lot of people and they ask you a question that you either don't have the answer for or you don't want to answer in front of all these yes. people and they make you feel like if you don't answer it you're really stupid okay and how do you handle this that situation well what i learned was it was okay not to answer right away and the tool that I learned was to say, that is a very good point. Could we, could you make an appointment? Because I think we need some time to discuss it. And I'd like to think about it. Could you make an appointment and we could talk maybe next Wednesday or Thursday and really give your question the attention that it deserves. So you're Smart. in front of like all it. these people you look like a hero you have made this person you've elevated him you yeah. haven't said oh shut up you're just trying to make me look bad <laughs> and you haven't like bumbled all over you know that's what i would do before and so you have not embarrassed that person in front of the colleagues and what i've learned is chances are they're not going to call you and make an appointment Oh, yeah, for Their sure. goal was to make you look bad. So you took the high road. I learned how to take the high road. And there's several other tips in there. And the accountability is helping people on your team be accountable for their actions. Yes. Be, you know, be accountable for your actions. And I, another, my daughter, I'm very proud of her. Somebody said, that's a negative story. I'm going to tell you. She's doing okay. great, and I'm very, very proud of her. She's done some fabulous things. One of the lessons that she taught me, she was three years old. Three years old. And we were trying to get out of the door so she could go to daycare and I could go to work, and she accidentally spilled her milk. Okay. Which three-year-olds will spill their milk. It's, yeah, not, it's not a bad thing, but it was just the, bad, the wrong time. And I yeah, didn't get angry, I like didn't that. scold her, I just sighed. And I was just, <laughs> I was gonna grab a paper towel and wipe it up all on my own. And she looked at me, she was so worried about being bad and doing something wrong. She said, mommy, mommy, it's not my fault. And I knew it was an accident. Yeah. And then I looked at her and I said, sweetheart, you're there and I'm here. Whose fault could it be? And she looked at me and she said, Mommy, my hand did it. 
And so then all of a sudden we had a lesson to teach. I said, sweetie, your hand is connected to your body and your body's connected to your brain. So if your hand does something, it might be an accident, but you did it. <laughs> and so at that point, I had to get another piece of paper towel and we had to clean up the mess together. But it was probably worth the 10 minutes that we were late that morning. Um, because later on, I was, um, I was in charge of a training center that had 10 trainers in it. Uh, the okay. whole region had 20, I was in charge of the 26 trainers. And every Friday, we had to uh, take down the, I mean, the equipment for the course we were teaching that week and get yes. the equipment put in, installed for the class we were teaching the next week. And I just remember, you know, it was just, it was Friday, they were tired, okay. they wanted to go home, and then they started blaming something or somebody. And I just looked up at them and I said, you know, your hand didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody, not the trainer that was being obnoxious, but somebody else, I, you know, I said, you have to be accountable. You need to be accountable for your actions. I'm not going to get angry at you, but just be accountable. Take, to be, take responsibility and help solve the issue. It doesn't matter who caused it. It only matters who resolves it. Oh, yes. And, so I, I just think, you know, when something just happens, I, I get angry when people are not accountable. It's like your hand didn't do it. As long as you're accountable and take responsibility, then it's okay. Let's just move forward. Let's figure out, was it an accident? Did it just happen? Did, you know, maybe you didn't receive information in time. Do we need to go back and figure out why the other department didn't get it to you when they said yes. they get it to you? But you can explain. And so, um, Carrie Patterson, and he has three other authors. Uh, if people look for crucial accountability, I just, I think it's a great book to help you through challenging times when you're working with other people. You know, you spend a lot of time listening and a lot of time as a manager, how can you help other people take responsibility? What can you say that neutralizes the situation and gains a positive output? And letting, not just you controlling it, but letting other people control their actions because we can only control what we choose to do. And exactly. choice, we all have a choice. And so by, we can choose how we react to a certain situation. So when a leader gives their people and, and the ability and, you know, enables them to make choices, you know, it, then everybody, it's win-win. It is. It truly is. And a point that I would like to make, and I, I hope you agree with it, is you have to start um, with yourself being accountable for the fact that if your team is not accountable for their actions, it means that probably you snapped at them uh, and they, or they're afraid because they got trained by other bosses or former managers that if they make a mistake, the manager is going to get really angry. So you have to be accountable for the fact that you have to show them that it's okay. You're not going to lose your mind at, at each mistake or situation. And it's okay for them to show that, okay, they made a mistake, how we can fix it? Exactly. So it starts as, at the top. 
And you have to, I, in the States, we say it's walking the talk. Yes. Just because you say exactly. it, if you're not doing it, everybody, then you lose all your credibility. You're no longer authentic. They don't believe what you say. For sure. And so you have to really model it. And, and that's why, you know, I wrote my book, Creating a Greater Whole. And I'm starting to work on a new project called Expert to Excellence. Because awesome, so Susan. many... Please let, uh, let, let me know where people can go and find out more and tell a little more about your books. Sure. Um, well, the first one, I'll just show you. I know we're um, not, <laughs> not visual. The uh. first one, you can get them both on Amazon. Creating a Greater Whole, um, you can order off of Amazon. Uh, you can, I can direct you to the publishing website. If you go to my website, I have a 20% discount I can give you. And your website is? If you go is? to riverbirchgroup.com, that's R-I, V as in Victor, E-R, G as in George, R-O-U-P as in Paul, dot com. And there's a 20% discount code. Um, that you can use when you check out at the publisher site. It is available on Amazon. And then the other one is turning ideas into impact. And yeah. it's a consolidation. There are 15 of us, uh, 16, that contributed to this anthology. So I have one chapter that I was responsible for. And you can get that on Amazon. If you look up Susan G. Schwartz, you'll come up with my two books and um, and you'll be able to find both of them on Amazon or go to my website and I'll give you links to both of them. And I'll put the links in the show notes so people can more easily find your website and the books. And it has been a pleasure having you on the show, Susan. I learned so much. And it's oh, thank you. Pleasure. This has been such a great conversation. I hope we can keep in touch after this. For sure, for sure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.